Welcome to The Reality Revolution. I'm your host, Brian Scott. Today I want to discuss something that I think about often, that I've had people reach out to me who have similar thoughts. It's a question I'm asking myself all the time. Am I dead? Those of you who have been with the channel for a long time since the beginning may know my story. I tell my story in my book, The Reality Revolution, The Mind-Blowing Movement to Hack Your Reality. But let me give you a brief summary of what has happened to me and why this thought continually enters my mind and my explorations of this concept may help you in whatever place you're at in your spiritual journey. This happened to me after the Super Bowl. I had been watching my team, the Broncos, and was sitting on my couch in the living room, late at night, just watching TV. It might have been three in the morning. I heard some noises in my house, and not really expecting that it was somebody in my house, I looked around and noticed that my porch door was ajar. I got up, only thinking about my cat, worried that I had let my cat out or left the door open this whole time in some sort of daze as I was watching TV. As I walk up to the door, I see somebody holding a gun, pointing it right at me. I immediately shut the door and then turned and ran. And this person immediately started firing at me. I could hear the bullets, and in this moment, time stood still. And I had an experience that I'll never forget. I could see all the possible realities around me. I didn't understand what was happening at the time until I went back and recalled it later. I could see myself laying on the floor in a pool of blood. I could see myself crawling along the wall with blood. I could see myself dead. But as I'm running, I can hear the bullet click, leaving the chamber. It was a double pane glass, so I clearly remember each pane of glass shattering very slowly. So I could hear the first one. And what seemed like minutes later, I could hear the second one. And I'm running, thinking about what's going on. I had a feeling of peace come about me. I wasn't scared, but clearly something unusual was happening and part of me thought I was dreaming. And as I'm running, I can feel something hit my back. I continue to run to the other room and I see someone else there. They begin to fire at me. And I felt like I was in the matrix. I could see the bullets clearly, not a blur, go by my eyes and hit the wall. So I ran out the front door I was in the middle of a home invasion slash robbery and they began to run away after contacting the police and they show up and they say, hey, you probably need to have your back checked out. It looks like it's bleeding. And 
and it turned out that a bullet had hit my back. This was a 22 bullet. It had gone through the glass, so that might be why it had slowed down, but it was incredibly unlikely. As I studied the physics of it, the bullet should have entered into my body and it would have been very destructive, even at that slower rate. But it simply hit my back and bounced off of it. You know, they go to the doctor and they take an x-ray and they say, yeah, it didn't enter your body. After this happened, my life completely changed. I experienced a variety of very unusual reality glitches. I had people contacting me, acting like they were my best friends, that I talked to them all the time. I had never met these people. There were buildings that showed up that hadn't been there, objects that appeared in my house that were not there, historical events that had happened, people that had died that I know for sure had not died, movies that had appeared that I know I would have known about that I did not know about. So I suspected that I possibly had shifted into a parallel reality. This was a significant moment for me because prior to this happening, I was a selfish alcoholic. And after this happened, I had that moment of truth where I looked back over my life and realized what a waste I had been. I had all this knowledge and had not used it to help anyone. I had been exploring consciousness quite a bit prior to this happening. But I had never really helped anyone and really had not done any proper service. I'd lived a selfish life. So I had this transformational moment. I was grateful to be alive. Every breath was precious to me. Single bite of pizza was like the best bite of pizza ever. Every experience I had was special. When I woke up in the morning, my first breath, I was so incredibly grateful for that breath because I should have been dead. That thought constantly went through my head. I should be dead right now. I'm super grateful. Even though the people around me were a little bit different. My kids appeared to be different. They listened to different kinds of music. They talked about different things. So I was in this different world that wasn't exactly like the world I had been before. I went to therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. I was convinced that I had experienced some sort of PTSD. I tried tapping and different hypnosis techniques and was told by my therapist that nothing was really wrong with me and tried to figure out a way to come to grips with this unusual revelation of the things that had happened in my life. Clearly something had happened. And I began to believe I had shifted into another reality. That's why you see so many episodes on my channel that explore the concept of parallel realities. That's why I've developed quantum jumping techniques. Because I started to realize I could actually shift my reality even more using different meditation techniques I was given this amazing opportunity to take all the knowledge that I had and experiences that I had and I could use it to help other people. I could share my knowledge. I could offer advice. I could actually be of service to others. But while all this is happening, I'm continually 
having the thought, something is not right. Am I dead? Now, of course, geez, if I'm a ghost, I wouldn't be able to feel or eat. It would be obvious, right? But this thought continually goes through my mind. I talk to people all the time that have had similar experiences. So I start to think I'm sharing a reality with other people that may have also died. I recently had an interview with Nicole Magic, and she tells me this very powerful story of being in a car accident and being sucked through a wormhole where she's still alive. I have an interview with Michael Sandler, and he tells me that he was hit by a car while he was riding his bike, and he was restored to life. I'm talking to people all the time that have had these near-death experiences. Please put in the comments if you have had an experience where it appears that you died or you should have died. It could have been a minor car accident where you just walked away from it. So as I start to read Neville Goddard, I start to consider this idea that I am dead and I've been restored to life. The interesting thing about Neville is after I had this experience, there were all these new lectures that were not available before this experience had happened. Neville explains that we're already all dead and that we can reach the age of 95 and have lost our teeth and our hair. And then when we die, we are seemingly restored into another portion of time at the age of 20, where we have all the same issues. We have a memory of being 20. Our memories are the same. We wake up in the morning. We think we are the same as we are always right now. And we go upon paying our bills and being fearful of death in this other reality. But I continue to have this question, am I dead? I continue to ask my guests, psychics, experts, can you tell me if I'm dead? How do I know if I'm dead? Nobody really gives me the most salient answer to that question. They can tell me, well, you're not dead. But that might be one dead person telling me that I'm not dead. So I start to read about this and I find there's a condition called Cotard syndrome, where people think that they're dead. Most of the symptoms that are discussed there are nothing like what I'm going through. Usually this occurs with extreme damage to the brain or psychotic depression or schizophrenia. When I talk to psychiatrists, they don't say I have those kind of symptoms. It appears that what I'm experiencing is something more spiritual. Neville Goddard explains that We experience this on a regular basis, a little different than reincarnation. We awaken in a 20-year-old body, restored with the memories of being a 20-year-old, and we continue to live our lives. A really good lecture where he explains this concept is Tested in Sea from 1969. Neville is answering a question about what is referred to as the second death in the book of Revelation. Neville says, the second death only appears really in the book of Revelation, and the only death is this. If I do not now, in this world, have the experience 
of the risen Lord, I will continue and be restored. Now, Neville explains in many of his lectures this experience he had where he awakens and realizes that he is God. And he calls that the experience of the risen Lord. He explains it's not death, really. I am restored to life to continue until it happens. But people don't quite understand that when one departs this world, that the world does not terminate at the point where my senses cease to register it that he continues restored, unbelievably new, and that to us, well, he dies. Well, if he dies to us, therefore he'll die again. That dying again is simply going from one stage to another stage to another stage. He doesn't really die as told us in the 20th chapter of the book of Luke. In other words, it is called death, but if you understand it, it isn't really death. As Neville says, because if I drop now at this very moment, you would say, Neville died. And you would name it this day in 1969 and this month, but not this one. Prior to my birth from above, I would have been restored to life and I would have found myself 20 years old. Not necessarily in the year 1969. I would find myself in the year 4000 or the year 1000, whatever is best for the work yet to be done in me. And so to others, I would be one who would die again, but I don't die. I simply pass through a door. It's so thin the little garment, the little thing that separates this world from that world, which is not anything more than an extension of this world, is so thin. Neville says, I often wonder why people don't see it. It is simply almost, well, the gentleman used the word transparent. It is just like that. It is so thin that separates this world from that world, and they don't die at all. But the miracle is, how do they, dying here old and withered and minus senses, Eyes are gone, teeth are gone, hair gone, and suddenly they stand before you and they are restored, unaccountably new. And they are 20. And in a section of time, it could be 1969, it could be, the chances are, it will not be, it will be in a section of time which is already fixed, best suited for the work yet to be done in them. As told us in the letter to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. That is when it is formed in you, and you unveil yourself as God. But I can't see a second death. You die to those who see you go, but you never really die to yourself. You don't die to yourself. You only die to those who can't follow you. But nothing in this world ever dies to itself. It is unaccountably restored, and it's new. You die here when you lose almost all your faculties, if you lived long enough, you would lose all the faculties, and yet they are all restored. Neville says in another lecture, If you die tonight, your belief will not be transformed, but you will be restored to life in a world just as real as this one. You will know the same limitations as you know here. You will suffer, be deceived, betray, and be betrayed until you believe to the point of action. Then Scripture will unfold within you and you will depart this age of death to enter the age of life by controlling your own wonderful human imagination. Check out my episode on the wheel of recurrence with Neville Goddard, and I talk about this concept of the eternal recurrence. Neville explains that we continue this eternal recurrence until we awaken the imagination. And when we do, we start to sort of change the world around us, and that awakens the God within us, 
and then we move on to the next world which is perhaps another simulation much more advanced much more complicated i've talked about that a lot on the channel and you'll be able to see an additional discussion of this in my book the new earth manual but the idea here is that well i didn't turn into a 20 year old so i can easily say hey i didn't awaken as a 20 year old i just kept on going my interpretation of that is that it's different for everybody whatever is needed to do the work within you and this experience definitely did the work within me to awaken my desire to use my imagination and to learn about my imagination and one of the best ways to learn about my imagination is to teach it as i'm doing through this channel but it's a question that continually comes to me am i dead it's very possible that i am and i have to come to grips with i'm in this reality and i have to accept it as i continue to read about this there are some fascinating discussions in many different religions about the afterlife and the way it works you can find a discussion in tibetan buddhism about the bardos the central orienting view in the tibetan tradition of thanatology the study of death and dying is that of the bardos this tibetan word bardo is translated as gap interval intermediate state transitional process or in between and usually refers to the gap between lives according to the tibetan teachings there are three death bardos the painful bardo of dying the luminous bardo of dharmada and the karmic bardo of becoming only a few teachers assert that the journey is universal most teachers say that cultural differences and personal idiosyncrasies generate a wide variety of experiences why would a christian or muslim with very different beliefs experience death the same way as a buddhist carl becker writes the heavens judgments and ghostly scenarios described by other religious traditions have equal claims to validity the afterlife is culturally relative insofar as its imagery is projected by the perceiver and the perceiver has been conditioned by the culture in which he was educated while the tibetans have breathtaking resources that easily translate from their tradition into our own modern tibetan masters admit to instances of cultural insularity and peculiarity the issue of universal truth versus cultural vicissitude is present anytime teachings migrate from an ancient and foreign culture into a modern one with that said here's a brief overview of the three death bardos religious scholar houston smith says everything we experience in the bardos is a reflection of our own mental machinations in the buddhist view the essence of mind is the same for all sentient beings but the surface structures that cover that essence are different hence the journey through the surface structures bardo of dying into the essence of mind the bardo of dharmada and then out of it the bardo of becoming is not the same but the general pattern of this three-stage process is universal any meditation that allows you to become familiar with your mind will prepare you for death in the bardos we're forced to relate to our mind simply because there's nothing else outer world is gone body is gone so mind becomes reality through insight meditation will discover 
that whatever arises in the bardos is just the display of our mind. That recognition sets us free. So by exploring the depths of our mind in meditation, we are preparing for what happens after death. In many ways, the spiritual path is just death in slow motion. We can summarize it thus, if you die before you die, then when you die, you will not die. If you spiritually die or transcend your false sense of self before you're forced to do so at death, then when you physically die at the end of this life, you will not die because you are already dead. You have already died to your limited sense of self. The painful bardo of dying begins as one gets a terminal disease and ends with death. This bardo begins with the outer dissolution, which is the five stages of the death of the body. This is followed by the inner dissolution, which is the three stages of the death of consciousness. Each stage is accompanied with signs that can help the dying person and those around them. The signs help us recognize where we are and where we're going. When someone stops eating, for example, that can be a sign that the fire element is dissolving and death is imminent. The fire element is involved in digestion, the burning up of food. If a seriously ill loved one stops eating, it's time to go see them if we want to be there before they die. Not everyone will experience all eight stages clearly or in the following order. Thinking that death will unfold in such a systematic and predictable fashion can hinder our experience instead of enhancing it. These stages are orienting generalizations, not immutable and definitive steps. Also, with a sudden death, this first bardo of dying comes and goes in a flash. The bardo is painful because it hurts to let go. We're forced to let go of everything we have and everything we think we are. One of the reasons it's difficult to leave this world is because we are so familiar with it. It's all we know. Even though it's samsara, we feel snug and secure in its ways, and these ways are hard to abandon. Conversely, one of the reasons it's difficult to enter the next world is because it's so unfamiliar. We don't know it at all. Even though it presents great opportunities for enlightenment, we're afraid to step into the unknown. So too much familiarity with this world and not enough with the next is what makes this transition difficult. Releasing our grip is what transforms this painful bardo of dying into the simple bardo of dying. The 16th Karmapa, which was said to be an enlightened being, said that nothing happens at death. The Karmapa is the head of the Karma Kagyu, the one of the four major schools of Tibetan Buddhism. This was a cryptic statement left open for interpretation. One view would be that for someone who has completely let go during life, nothing happens at death because there's nothing left to release. Bardos only exist in samsara, which is defined by grasping and attachment. It is said in teachings that for someone like the Karmapa, there is no bardo. The luminous bardo of Dharmada follows after the painful bardo of dying. Buddhism asserts that in this bardo, the nature of mind is laid bare. What is revealed is the same for everyone, but it is not experienced the same way. The nature of mind or formless awareness is raw and naked mind itself before any conceptual or cultural clothing is placed upon it. No thing is obscuring the nature of mind in this bardo. According to these teachings, if we are highly accomplished meditators in the bardo of Dharmada, we will see and realize the intrinsic awareness, the true enlightened nature of our own mind as it is. If we can realize and maintain it, we will attain the Buddhahood, 
for most people, the nothingness, the emptiness, the void, even though it is revealed, is actually not experienced. Unless you have some familiarity with emptiness before you die, it is experienced as no experience, i.e. you black out. If you're unfamiliar with the subtle states of mind revealed in this bardo, it will flash by in an instant or be completely missed. Although all of us will see this intrinsic awareness during death, the nature of our mind, the experience of it is so brief that most of us will not even notice it, let alone maintain it. After missing that profound opportunity for awakening in the bardo of Dharmata, we will find ourselves in the last of the three bardo states, the bardo of becoming. The power of thought and habit becomes the overwhelming issue in this bardo. Thought becomes reality, just like in a dream. But unlike a dream, we can't wake up and take refuge in a solid body. Since this bardo is ruled by the winds of karma, the experiences are particularly fickle. These winds are not literal winds, of course, but a metaphor for how we are blown around by the power of karma. The mind of the being in the bardo of becoming has a very hard time coming to rest at all. Therefore, the most important preparation for the state is to develop stability of mind through the practice of shamatha. To the degree that you can control your mind now, you'll be able to control it in the bardo, and to the same degree, you'll be better able to withstand the onslaught of your own thoughts. The winds of karma pick up strength the further we go. Recognition becomes increasingly difficult because of a developing panic. And unless we know what's going on and can direct these winds into a fortunate realm of existence, you'll be tossed uncontrollably into your next life. The bardo of becoming is a cosmic Pandora's box. The urge to escape from the contents of this box, the bardo itself, is nothing more than an urge to run away from the contents of our own mind. This is what forces us to take refuge in a new solid body. We want to get away from ourselves. In this regard, it is like a dream. We eventually do take refuge in a new form and wake up into our next life. In many ways, I think this description from the Buddhist standpoint is what perhaps happens between each restoration that Neville Goddard talks about or if we reincarnate. And in my view, we have a choice. We either restore into a 20-year-old body or we reincarnate and both things happen. I do believe that everybody has a different death experience. After you wake up in the bardo, you steady your mind. This is difficult because we have a shifty mental body that darts around at the speed of thought. If we think of Paris or New York or our home, we're instantly there. With a measure of stability, we can apply our meditations and attain liberation. This is why meditation is such a powerful preparation for death. The momentum of practicing meditation will automatically kick in during the bardos and take care of us. Other suggestions are to perceive everything in the bardo as sacred and realize it's all the play of our mind. Attempt to calm and stabilize your mind. Remember any form of spiritual support, be it teacher, divine presence, or a positive experience. And then don't be angry or afraid. See everything as illusory like a dream. Those three bits of guidance I have followed as if I am in the bardo now. I perceive everything as sacred. I realize that everything is mind as I am taught by Neville Goddard, Joseph Murphy. Why do I have such an interest in those teachers? Because they are teaching me how to deal with this bardo. Calm and stabilize my mind. I remember my guides, my teachers, 
positive experiences and I control my emotions. I try to avoid anger and fear and I treat the world like it's a dream or simulation. I avoid negative states. I pray to whatever divine presence I have connection with and I ask blessings and guidance. I keep an open mind that is positive, stable, and peaceful. These bardos teach us that we really do have something to look forward to when we die. There are more opportunities for spiritual awakening after death than during life. If we know what to do and when to do it, we can transform the greatest obstacle to life, the end of it, into the greatest once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Instead of fearing death, we can celebrate it. B. Allen Wallace says, In light of death, our mundane desires are seen for what they are. If our desires for wealth, luxury, good food, praise, reputation, affection, and acceptance by other people and so forth are worth nothing in the face of death, then it is precisely their ultimate value. For further information on Tibetan Buddhist principles about death, check out the book Preparing to Die, Practical Advice and Spiritual Wisdom from a Tibetan Buddhist Tradition. But this is not the only tradition. There's the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and something I'm super fascinated by, and that is the American Book of the Dead by E.J. Gold. He explains that we exist within macro dimensions of what he calls the labyrinth. And we're awakening to our own death. He explains that the sheer ordinariness of an unprepared experience of the macro-dimensional domains of the labyrinth deceives us into complacent acceptance of events. The unsuspecting voyager is unaware of any transition into death, and so the Tibetans, the Navajo, the Micronesians, the Benin, and other cultural primitives, but macro-dimensional sophisticates have trained themselves through visualization to view all dimensions of the labyrinth, including the human dimension, in a supernormal way. Without continuous, well-reinforced visualization training, the labyrinthine macro-dimensions tend to masquerade as ordinary life, meaning that we think we're living an ordinary life. Guides appear, but we explain them to ourselves as simple changes of light playing tricks on the vision. The sweeping tonal harmonics of macro-dimensional sounds we translate to common, understandable phenomena, horns of passing traffic, airplanes, music, orchestral, choral, heavily metallic. The mind transforms labyrinth phenomena into ordinary phenomena of the present consciousness. Remember that the nature of the phenomenal world, the lower dimensions, is phenomena. All the phenomena of the organic world, the human dimension, as well as the labyrinth, the death dimension with its macro dimensions are controlled by the being attention because higher mind controls itself unlike lower mind which is controlled by the environment but unfortunately the awareness of an individual generally doesn't include awareness of or control over the mind what is called the mind in ordinary intercultural translations of higher ideas is simply the result of the activities of the primary attention of the being, the cosmic nature of which is voidness, which is called in this treatise the essential self, that which is one's own, the deepest self, existing only temporarily dependent upon the biological self. One of the problems 
with an untrained individual who has not inculcated within himself firsthand knowledge of the subtle feelings and sensations of the macro-dimensional domains of the death labyrinth, which during the lifetime are hidden under the dominant organic feelings, perceptions, and sensations of organic life, is to actually notice the unusual non-organic nature of the macro-dimensional environment without dropping into blackout, waking up only after it's all over. A normal human primate, given the usual education and routine life experience, just doesn't have the slightest idea of what's going on, where they are, what's happening around them, their feelings and sensing their sensations, the events proceeding all around us, not even one millionth of it. We can't expect to notice that anything is different in the macro dimensions of the labyrinth when the only difference is the quality of the experience and not the imagery. That's why we need to train ourselves to feel, sense, and be aware of ourselves and our environment, not to enhance our sex lives or personality, but to be sensitive to change on a much deeper level than the organic mind and its primate level senses and values. Something very little known in the East and definitely unknown in the West is that the voyage in the labyrinth of death continues all the time. Gold says, the labyrinth underlies the organic world. The vibrations of the macro dimensions of the labyrinth are dominated by the organic vibrations, which are heavier and easier to sense through biological machine and human awareness than the direct but subtle perceptions of the dimensional domains. Another fact, you can enter and leave the macro dimensions of the labyrinth at any time for periods of seconds, minutes, hours, or years up to eternities and experience rebirth not necessarily in an infant biological machine. You can be reborn at any time and into any size, shape, and age biological machine, which would indicate that you don't end up just being 20. Everybody's age may be different in your rebirth. Your subjective experience, unless you have had training in feeling and sensing, is as if nothing unusual has happened. All the experiences in the macro-dimensional domains of the labyrinth tend to go unnoticed. And you may take subtle rebirth without knowledge or control. However, once in a biological machine, you insist that those are your memories and your interests and that you have always had that biological machine. After all, if you had been in the macro-dimensional domains of the labyrinth and then been reborn into the present dimension, you'd know it, wouldn't you? It would be obvious. You would know that you were dead, right? You know you're dead. Have you asked yourself, am I dead? The ordinary individual changes habitation in each of the six what Gold calls lower tertiary dimensions without realizing it. Anywhere from four to five minutes to hundreds of times every few days. But try explaining that to someone who couldn't tell you what's been going on for the last minute and a half. Gold tries to explain different experiences that can happen that would indicate that you're in one of these macro-dimensional domains of existence outside of normal human living. 
Perhaps you find yourself in a bus or train or a plane or any other form of public transportation or you're compulsively walking from room to room in a house or apartment and you can't seem to stop moving or reduce the restlessness and agitation, yet you're not actually in an anxiety state. In a small chamber with someone whose face keeps changing subtly as the light is playing upon it. Or if you're alone for long periods of time, in an older hotel room or motel room. You're continually going into a bathroom or kitchen or back and forth from bathroom to kitchen or waking up suddenly from a nightmare or a dream about yourself having just had a different biological machine, not necessarily of the earth varieties, driving in a car for a long period of time, watching a clock that moves impossibly slow, or you're in an older theater with balconies and basement watching a film that seems familiar to you, but you can't remember having seen it before. Usually the film will have an unusual amount of senseless violence or seem very religious or both. Or getting a phone call in the middle of the night from someone you know is dead or apparently attending a funeral for someone else even more suspicious when the deceased is conspicuously unidentified and perhaps unidentifiable or you're lost in a small but unaccountably complex town or a very large unaccountably complex city you'll notice a lot of these different scenarios appear like you're in a dream and a lot of times i find myself in dreamlike settings and I find myself awakening within this setting. So are you experiencing unusual things that are happening that don't make sense? Perhaps you are caught in one of these macro dimensions. Perhaps that's my role now is to awaken you to your existence within one of these macro dimensions. Now I'm not saying your life is unimportant. I believe every life in every dimension is important. And there are significant lessons that we are learning no matter where we find ourselves conscious. But we may have been through this life before or yesterday we may have been in an entirely different life. We've awakened now and the only way that you know it is that right now in this moment you have these memories but you don't really know if they're your true memories for where you're at. Gold explains that one of the first problems in dealing with the between lives area is realizing that it's not really between lives or reincarnation, but the same life lived through creation, skipping like a flat stone on water into the voidness of non-creation. But the change in state doesn't change the life you're living and ought not to affect your consciousness unless your consciousness is dependent on your actions in samsara, the world of illusionary influences and centralized ego reality. When you first came into the cosmos, your idea principally was, or at any rate your hope is now, to maintain the thread of consciousness throughout your experience in the universe. Usually it works out that what with all the fascination and sudden experiences and emotional sensory shocks and sympathy with the focus of attention of the biological machine and constant demands on your attention before you realize you're being dragged into a muddled existence and your thread of consciousness has been disrupted. We could dwell upon it, recalling in vivid, graphic detail how you got caught in biological games, but basically it boils down to the fact that you intend to liberate yourself and the universe is going to do its damnedest to stop you and if it can't bring you to a complete stop, then at least it's going to slow you down for a while. The universe becomes like a grasping mother, a Chinese finger trap, 
deeper every ounce of intention you have of getting yourself liberated there's a trillion tons of counter intention stacked up against you so what are your actual chances of liberation just how effective is this idea that we can escape from death in the afterlife later on gold explains there are several fundamental problems in the death labyrinth one of them is the simplest to spot and the hardest to deal with you get so caught up in the pursuits of primate life that you're no longer interested in your prime aim as a voyager the aim you had when you came into the cosmic theater in the first place and now you're interested in how it all comes out and in doing something about it by changing the experience you're so interested in all of that that you haven't got the time or interest to waste on all this ethereal and impractical spiritual stuff no one can force you to practice meditation and spiritual teachings maybe this time all you want to do is to refamiliarize yourself with them not actually put them to use so you read you study you go to a few lectures you listen to some podcasts maybe do a little yoga jogging or racquetball if you want to go further out with it you could change your diet you wear looser clothes that's the first major problem of the macrodimensional domains no practical experience during the lifetime the middle of a voyage in the macrodimensions is one hell of a time to get your first practical experience with the teaching gold says the prime aim when confronted with the absolute is to realize that you are the shining void without losing yourself i say without losing yourself to ease the western mind but how can you lose what can't be lost you may lose or consider lost many things during the merging process but never the essential self the essential self may have been hidden under a tremendous load of conditioning but when the biological self has been stripped off you will see that what's real about you was never lost hidden under a mound of insufferable egocentricity perhaps but never actually lost gold recommends reading his book out loud reading it when you have somebody that has died in your life to them and this is similar to the buddhist belief in helping the dead according to buddhist beliefs a great deal can be done to help the dead they believe that when we die our stream of consciousness floats free and roams the death bardos undergoing very powerful experiences in this state a huge potential for liberation is present because if the person's bardo mind were to focus on its spiritual reality the realization and experience of that reality would be beyond anything we could imagine from our knowledge of spiritual practice here the mind is nine times stronger and the environment in which it moves is less solid than this one thus if it thinks of a place it will be there if it is able to focus on spiritual truth it will immediately be drawn into it experience it and be liberated by it in the death bardos our enlightened reality appears to us over and over again and now we know the key if the bardo mind can focus sufficiently to recognize the experience for what it is instead of fleeing in fear or falling into confusion the result will be immediate enlightenment the problem is that although the mind is much stronger it is also unstable in the sense that the rational frameworks that held it in place have gone think of dream an apparent simple thing like recognizing the dream as a dream while we're in it is almost impossible for most of us thus the potential for becoming enlightened which is so tantalizingly close all the time we are there 
is constantly missed because we simply cannot get it together to focus and recognize. All the practices to help the dead are based on a knowledge of this above. What they will often do in a stupa is they'll bring the ashes or the body and they will read the Tibetan Book of the Dead or other readings for 49 days. Upon request, monks and nuns will say prayers beside the coffin for a certain period of time to guide the consciousness of that spirit. Encouraging the dead to focus upon their consciousness. According to this information, simply by thinking of someone who is dead, it's like an instantaneous phone call. They will be there. So we can invoke the blessing of universal compassion by meditation and thinking properly of those that are dead around us. There are death yantras. A yantra is a picture or usually a geometric that brings into focus and magnifies spiritual forces. If we contact a yantra through one of our senses, including touch, the blessing is transmitted to our stream of consciousness. Some Buddhist centers have made up a death kit which contains a set of yantras and an audio tape with chanting of mantras to help the dead. Those are some things that have happened in the past. Sitting next to my desk is an amazingly beautiful yantra from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which guides anyone that is dead from its very appearance. I've thought about getting it as a tattoo. This is where you get the practice of food offerings to the dead or other offerings on behalf of the deceased. The goal is to guide the consciousness to a higher spiritual state. So the question is, am I dead? Do I exist within one of these macro dimensions or am I still within my current living experience having not experienced one of the death bardos. I don't know. Something tells me that I am. Something tells me that I'm brought into the experience of others that have experienced something similar and that we're sharing this reality together. It is very much like any other reality. I get headaches. I get hungry. I go through all the normal things that a physical, biological person would. But the reality around me is much more dreamlike. Perhaps that's why I'm obsessed with the new earth and shifts in consciousness because I am trying to find an explanation for this dreamlike quality to the world around me. But clearly, a shift or transformation happened. And I will continue to ask this question because it saddens me. I think about my kids. If I did die when I was shot, how much I love my kids and I won't be there for them and how disappointed I am that I wasn't able to offer services to the world around me. I offered nothing. I was useless. And that drives me in this reality that I'm in. And I would love to know if anybody else has these feelings or thoughts. It's totally natural and normal. And the purpose of this episode is to discuss death, life, and the world that we are in. And I find often that I learn just as much from you as anyone else. So please let me know your thoughts about these experiences or ideas. Do you think I'm dead? Are you dead? It's a question we may never know about 
but we should discuss it. It is helpful for the future when we have to deal with this fascinating process that we will all go through. You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com. Check out my art at www.newearth.art. I'm sending all my love and blessings to everyone, imagining the greatest joy for you, hoping that my voice in some way can offer you comfort or help in any way. And welcome to the reality revolution.